Welcome to another episode of Curbside Consults, where we take a deep dive into the practice-changing research published in the New England Journal of Medicine. My name is James O'Connell, and I'm an editorial fellow at the NEGM. On this episode of Curbside Consults, we are going to discuss integrated healthcare delivery systems for the early detection of patients who have impending clinical deterioration. Patients who become unwell and clinically deteriorate on medical and surgical wards suffer significant morbidity and mortality. Identifying these patients earlier in their deterioration may allow for interventions to be made to mitigate or even prevent critical deterioration. There are many bedside scoring tools in clinical use which do this, but researchers are now evaluating if more complex automated models can be developed which could identify and predict a deteriorating patient better and much earlier using the vast amount of data available in electronic medical records. Today I'm joined by Dr. Gabriel Escobar and Dr. Vincent Liu from Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, Dr. Escobar and Dr. Liu? I'm a research scientist at the Division of Research in Oakland, California, and I've been working for many years on use of electronic data from our large databases. I've worked on risk adjustment studies of hospital outcomes, and more recently, our team really has focused on predictive analytics, which is developing models that can predict outcomes to support clinicians in real time. And Dr. Liu. Thank you. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician at Kaiser Permanente Santa Clara and also a research scientist working closely with uh, Dr. Escobar at the KP Division of Research. I also have a role overseeing implementation of real-time predictive models for our health system in Northern California. And so we're excited to share the news of this work. Great. And welcome to Curbside Consults. Let's begin. Many physicians will be familiar with the use of early warning scores and rapid response teams in their work. Could you tell us about some of the limitations of these existing tools and work practices, and how do these limitations impact on important in-hospital outcomes such as mortality, ICU admission, and length of stay? Well, many of the existing tools require manual data abstraction and calculation, which is a very heavy lift for busy doctors and nurses. Also, the statistical performance of many of these manual tools is not very good. Further, people have not been very careful about reporting the number needed to evaluate, which we call up the workup to detection ratio. How many patients do you need to evaluate to find one crash? Or equally important, what the lead time is for a given alert. Once you reach a threshold, how much time do you have? So the lack of automation means that it is actually a lot of work to assign these scores. And thus, it becomes difficult to incorporate them into existing workflows, which translates into limited or no impact on hospital outcomes. Sure. And many listeners will be familiar with the term machine learning. But for those of us who are not, could you explain what it is and how it is used in, in clinical medicine? Sure. I mean, I think to put it most simply, machine learning allows computers to do what they do best, which is repeatedly and efficiently task a large amount of data to find the strongest signals hidden within the noise. They do that with statistical algorithms of varying complexity, many of which are extensions of traditional vast statistical methods we use, and some of which are real advances that have been building over the past decade. In clinical medicine, we've seen an explosion in the variety and volume of data. And as Gabriel mentioned, this has made it very challenging in the context of the modern healthcare environment for clinicians to manually calculate this score. So this explosion is not only in electronic health record data, which was what we examined in the study, but also in biomolecular, imaging, text, or even wearable data. Thus, we're seeing a lot of applications in machine learning 
examine these complex and rapidly growing data repositories to predict risk and to examine potential treatments. What I think is unique about the current study is that we have not seen many of these algorithms actually translated into real-life workflows and been able to see the benefits of them. Great. And to me, the development of predictive models based on electronic health records, um, as in your study, was a new concept. But I was surprised after reading your paper, this concept had several well-conducted proof-of-concept studies. What, in your opinion, are the major studies in this area that physicians should be aware of? Well, I think the most important and most rigorously conducted study is a study by Colef, which is an excellent study that unfortunately did not have the advantage of having a large number of patients of hospital. And Colef's study, which appeared in the Journal of Hospital Medicine in 2014, they actually randomized patients to having an alert display or not. So the alert was running passively, but it was not always shown to clinicians. And I think that's the most strongly conducted study. They just didn't have the sample size. Now, our group has developed severity of illness score for all hospitalized patients, not just those in the ICU. And we use this score in this project, but we also use it for rehospitalization risk prediction. And now severity score is assigned to every patient in our hospitals every hour. And it's also used for a readmission score that's assigned every morning at 6 a.m. So we published these in medical care in 2013 and 2015. There's also another important early warning system called ECART, which is published by Dr. Matt Chirpik in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine in 2014. Sure, and you touched on the use of your model within your own hospital. Can you tell us about the background of your study and how it came about? Well, the genesis for this work was our empiric observation that patients who deteriorated on the ward did much worse than those admitted directly to the ICU. And about the time when we were starting to publish these findings, Kaiser Permanente began to deploy a comprehensive automatic electronic medical record. So this resulted in a dramatic increase in the availability of very granular clinical data, particularly vital signs, making much more accurate models possible. And around this time, I was approached by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, who were interested in someone tackling this problem. Their funding permitted us to pursue this work, including launching the first two pilot sites and conducting subsequent evaluations. And uh, what exactly were the components of the automated predictive model used in your study? Well, we used the usual suspects, demographics, age, and sex. We used laboratory results, vital signs. We used trend terms. But we also include interaction terms like the shock index. And because we have access to comprehensive data from our members, we also include longitudinal comorbidity, which is based on all diagnoses accrued by a patient in the preceding 12 months. From your study, what were the important outcomes, would you say? Well, we found that the intervention was associated with decreased mortality after an alert, fewer ICU admissions, and shorter length of stay. We estimate that around 500 deaths per year were avoided. In your study, it appears that the intervention was multifaceted. It required input from the automated predictive model, but also a virtual quality team registered nurse, a rapid response team registered nurse, and the adherence to a set of performance standards, all within the existing care systems. What are the challenges in implementing such a workflow in clinical practice? That's a great question. And first, I want to just say thank you to all of the different staff across our health system who really participated in the success of this work. While the article's byline is relatively limited to the authors contributing to the manuscript itself, 
This was work that involved a huge team across our health system. And the challenges we faced are the same that we face in implementing any reliable and effective workflow or intervention into clinical practice. The difference is we added a machine learning-based score at the beginning of that process. The distinction that using AI or machine learning or predictive model score at the beginning is that it's a relative novelty still to us in clinical medicine. So at a fundamental level, we need to make sure we build up trust, communication, and collaborations with our clinical teams. They have to ask themselves at the end of the day, do I trust that the score can reliably identify patients at the highest risk for deterioration? And if I do trust that, how do I now respond to that, contextualize it within my normal clinical practice, and communicate that risk to patients and colleagues to prevent that deterioration from happening? Great. And finally, what other barriers are there to implementing these kinds of automated and integrated early detection systems into routine clinical care? Thank you for that question. I think the most important barrier is, and it refers to what Vinny was just talking about, is that clinicians may not use the model. And this is because their effects may be counterintuitive. Imagine that you get an alert from an early warning system that gives adequate lead time. You go, you intervene, and nothing happens, which is exactly what you would like to occur. However, this is experientially very different from a code blue where it looks like you're doing things, even though the outcome may not be that good. So this is why it's important to have trust in the system and careful implementation to really get people to understand what's happening. Great. So that wraps up this episode of Curbside Consoles. I'd like to thank Dr. Gabriel Escobar and Dr. Vincent Liu for joining us today for a really interesting discussion about automated early detection systems for the deteriorating patients. Our production team here at NEGM Resident 360 includes Karen Buckley, Lynn Winston Perry, Kyle Simmons, Mike Tomasas, Tim Vining, Scott Williams, and Kathy Stern. Special thanks also to our NEGM education editor, Dr. O.P. Hamzik. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please email us at resident360 at negm.org. Remember to subscribe to the NEGM social media sites, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook via the NEGM.org pages. On behalf of the New England Journal of Medicine, this is James O'Connell signing off.